You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. listeners. So think about this scenario. You're in a doctor's office and you hear the words, you have cancer. The world around you has changed as you know it and the storms have blown in. How do you navigate uncharted seas and find sanity amongst the madness? You take control, that's how. So this is why I wanted to chat with Erica Brown, CEO of Pelltown and mayor of Colentown. Erica has survived and thrived beyond cancer by being her own patient leader and advocate in the medical arena and showing others the path. So welcome, Erica. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, good. <laughs> so you have a pretty amazing story. And I would love it if you could share with others. Um, tell us about your cancer journey and how Colentown and Paltown was created. Oh, I'd be happy to. Uh, the day I'll never forget is August 26, 2002. That was the day that I, it was announced to me in a little corner room of a colonoscopy suite that there was a tumor that was found in my colon. And um, I remember being both shocked and relieved because I had been walking around with uh, undiagnosed colon cancer for almost two years when it was finally discovered. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite the shock. I hadn't been able to work for those increasingly over the course of those almost two years. It was actually about 18, 19 months that, from the time that I started going in for um, consultations and seek diagnosis and seek what was wrong with me uh, and not getting any, any answers. Um, so I was both relieved and shocked what can I say my immediate thought was how do I make lemonade out of these lemons but what I noticed first upon this diagnosis is that almost immediately a wall dropped between me as a regular person and the providers the nurses the docs everybody in that colonoscopy suite all of a sudden I was a patient who was probably going to die. My first real impression of that I was all of a sudden a patient was by this reaction as I walked past the nurse's station and out the door after this preliminary diagnosis of my colon cancer. And it was one of pity, a look, looks of pity and sorrow. And I remember immediately thinking, why are they looking at me this way? I am, oh, why are they looking at me this way? It was, a, it was kind of a shock that they were doing that. And, uh, you know, my, my story, the trajectory of what happened was that I was within a week in surgery. In, in the surgery, my colon was resected. My spleen was removed because they needed to examine it. Turned out to be benign. And my liver was looked at very carefully because what I didn't know going in was that they were describing me 
diagnosing me as metastatic colon cancer. Oh, God. And the great news for me was that my, my uh, surgery actually downstaged me to stage 3C, which gave me a better shot at, at making it. Six months of chemotherapy um, with a one week off a month for six months. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of that, I was very, very ill and very, very depressed. And I had a lot of work ahead of me because I needed to move. I needed to get divorced. I needed to declare medical bankruptcy. I needed to figure out how I was going to make a living to take care of myself. And I didn't want to do what I had done before. And I was going to die anyway because our disease progresses. And, you know... I was facing a very uncertain future, but I somehow had the wherewithal to kind of stand up and take stock of everything and get through those initial first months and started bringing myself out of the hole and kind of trying to look around to see what I could learn as fast as possible about the status of treatment for my disease and what was going on. I know you're going to ask me about the founding of Colwyn Town. Uh, basically, it, it, it didn't happen for five or six or seven years post this moment. But what I experienced right then as I completed my six months of treatment was the fact that I had no one to ask, no one to connect up with to find out how they had made it through all of this. So I was immediately alone and felt very alone in this now waiting period to see when the other shoe would drop. Um, It was a very bad feeling. I don't need to tell you. Yeah, that's that's lonely, isolating, and just brutal to have to go through by yourself, you know. Well, and the interesting thing, Michelle, is that I... My, my basic background is in my, my entire livelihood is built upon the fact that I'm a professional networker. I, um, I have been a corporate headhunter in two industries. One, the more recent one, the telecommunications industry in Denver. And prior to that, I was a headhunter for advertising agencies in Chicago and New York. And so I am... I build networks all the time. And what I discovered in this new realization that I was all alone was that there, A, was not a network already and that I certainly didn't have one. So that was a very lonely, frightening feeling and time for me. By this time, I knew a couple of people who had gone through a cancer and that was helpful. And I remember reaching out to one of those women and saying, we go through that. It's very frightening. And this is the time just when you're finished your treatment and now you're playing the waiting game, basically. The, the, what happens literally is that the docs have been paying close attention to you during your treatment time, but you kind of graduate out of all of that attention and you have basically no one. I had no one to talk to. My longer term question was, what did you do to survive? And I had no one to ask those questions of. Right. 
you know, what is so important about being your own patient advocate and standing up for yourself? You know, why is that important? Well, first of all, I want to correct some terminology that you're using and that everybody uses, and that's the term patient advocate. I want to call us patient leaders. So let's rephrase the question to say, why is patient leadership so important? Well, take my case. Leadership as a, and, and leading and advocating for myself as a patient meant that I needed to create my own network. I needed to find out who the best docs were. I needed to find out who the, where the best colorectal cancer treatment was being delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to prepare myself for when I was told that I had progressed because I, like everybody, feared that that would be the case for me. Mm-hmm. I knew enough at this point to be dangerous about what was coming down the pike. Not a lot, but I knew enough to know that I probably would relapse. What I didn't know at that time was a relapse is more aggressive than the initial the initial go around. Right. Uh, had I known that, I would have been even more terrified than I was. Right. As it was, I, I did not know. I was not aware of that. I just was waiting for the shoe to drop. So I wanted to learn. I wanted to become an, a, a student of everything I could to, to, so that this didn't happen to me again. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I just made it my business to learn the names of people that were doing things in this colorectal cancer fighting world. And I started locally. I was in Denver at the time and people start saying, well, do you know about the um, coalition? I went and joined that. And I, I, I met some of those people. I started engaging in some of the conversations about the work with the local cancer society that was being done. Um, I started realizing that there was no disease specific conversation going on because, uh, and the reason this is so important is that the, the drugs that they use and the experiences people have with the different types of cancer uh, is all different. Right, right. And uh, I did know, for example, that colorectal cancer medicines, chemo, didn't necessarily create hair falling out. I went into chemo expecting my hair to fall out. It would have been useful information for me going in. Yeah, definitely. And as it turned out for me, it did not, it did not, my hair did not fall out. But in any case, there are disease-specific aspects to the desire to want to connect with other people who've had the same experience. They know how we feel. And, and uh, you know, they know how the drug is administered and how often. I mean, there are just so many similar. I call this in Colontown the find your people uh, concept. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find my people, and I didn't find them to begin with. I remember meeting one survivor who was on that coalition board, and she was about four and a half years out. I don't know what her staging was, but I do remember her saying that, I I remember her being there as a survivor meant a ton to me. 
right? Uh, just because she had survived. And I wanted to know more people like her. And I knew, I knew that there were, but there was no way of connecting to those other people. So that's what I determined was that there was a huge niche to fill in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do it right away. I did it down the road when I, I really ascertained through lots of looking and lots of talking with lots of people that this niche that I knew I could fill was not being addressed. Right. You know, the reason this is so important to me is because I watched my brother who recently passed away. He was his most, he was the most amazing, as you call it, patient leader uh, Mm -hmm. that I've ever seen in the brain cancer world. I mean, he had a doctor at every great institution, Sloan Kettering, UCSF, Dana-Farber, Duke University, and he didn't, you know, he basically, once any kind of treatment recommendation came down or possibility of regrowth of his tumor, he sent it to everybody and said, do you agree with this doctor's diagnosis? He wanted consensus and he wanted everybody's um, input because he didn't trust one doctor alone, even though that doctor was one of the best in the country, (laughs) you know? Well, I would... I would say that your brother was very lucky that he had that sort of access. Most people don't have that to all of the, all of those different institutions and all those, all those physicians. And I think he was aggressive about it. You know, I mean, I think he didn't take no for an answer and he went for it and tried to find every connection he could um, in, and he did it. in the channels and he did it. And, and oftentimes he even disagreed with what they said. So Um, which is also part of being a patient leader is doing your research, understanding trials, understanding, trying your best to understand the sickness, right? Because cancer is an ever-changing, elusive little monster. Um, Uh, Yes. And and he obviously was a networker. He knew how to to build his network and he knew timing for shaking his network or he wouldn't have had that reaction that's something that we talk about a lot in colon town because what we are is a worldwide network of colorectal cancer patients and and caregivers mm-hmm. and uh but i find that a lot of people do not and and most people don't know that they can even go to more docs some of them are afraid to ask for second opinions. And what we do in Colentown is really, really try to educate in terms of that patient leadership. Uh, so one of the tools, one of the, one of the things that we talk about a lot is the, the, the need to build out your own network so that you can indeed take that patient leadership stance and get as much support in the best places that you possibly can. Right. For you. That is true patient leadership. Your brother sounds amazing that he was able to you know, do that. I bet you do too. I wish <laughs> you were here to help us teach how he did that. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah. I'm sorry know, about your much, brother. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, having that much strength while you're ill, as you know, is not easy because all you want to do is shut down and sleep. And yep. you know, that depression is heavy. So to pull yourself out of that to try to you know, make things happen and contact people and be, have to be social is really difficult. So kudos to all of you, you know, just so much strength in the community. It's amazing. And, and tell me, I know you did this all over Facebook, right? 
Well, explain to people how, how that <laughs> actually works, because it's kind of social media at its best in the strangest way, you know? Well, at the time that I started Colontown, with the Colontown concept, um, I started it, first of all, with the name. I'm, I'm, I'm a brander. I'm a branding person. And I knew that it was really, really important that I create something that had an, a, a real basic, easy to understand, what I call an attractor factor. And uh, it was in the fall of 2010 when I, I finally threw down my gauntlet and you know I had been saying for about seven or eight years I'd been telling people that I was going to be creating something put that in quotes in the colorectal cancer patient world but I didn't yet know what it was until one day when I saw an email from a patient of colorectal cancer and it ba the email basically was I'm an RN, I'm 40 years old, I have two little girls that I want to see grow up, <clears throat> excuse me, and I have stage four colon cancer. Yeah. And she's, she followed up with, I have very supportive family and friends, but nobody understands exactly what I'm going through. And her next or last line said, isn't there anyone in Colorado for me to talk with? Yeah. And I saw that and I, I finally realized exactly what I needed to do was to find a way for Cynthia to be in with 150,000 other colorectal cancer patients in the U.S. alone every year, if at all possible. So there was absolutely no need for her to be have been alone. So in her name and memory, I went to my favorite designer and we talked about starting a community and the name came to Sarah, who is my favorite designer in the world, looked at me rather strangely when I told her what I wanted. And she said, what about the name Colon Town? <laughs> and I, I knew that that was exactly right. And um, so you asked about Facebook. Well, my next step was, okay, I had a name and I started a, a Colorado company. Then I went to somebody else who, as an advisor and that advisor said, why don't you put this on Facebook? And, and he said, literally, he said, you don't have any money to do a website anyway. And I went, boy, that's for sure. Cause I had less than any money <laughs> at that point. And he said, it's free on Facebook for you to use it. And I said, but what am I going to do on Facebook? And his answer was, literally was, I, I don't have a clue what you're going to do on Facebook, but all I can tell you is that it is the way of the future, and I have full faith in you in figuring it out. And so I went, oh, well, okay. <laughs> and about five months later, in the month of March of 2011, on a Sunday morning, I was sent an invitation to a secret group on Facebook. And I remember getting that invitation and thinking, that's what I'm going to do for Colon Town. I'm going to start a secret group called Colon Town on Facebook. And to round out this story a little bit for you is that on that Sunday morning, I started the group with about 10 other patient leaders that I knew from my 
seven, eight years of having rattled around this cancer world. And I knew they wouldn't object if I just added added them to the group to see how they responded to the name, basically. Mm-hmm. And I went for a swim, came back a couple of hours later, and there were now 78, 80 people in that group because everybody or a few of them had added people that they knew. That's amazing. <laughs> like what it a- told <laughs> me, what it told me was that people liked it. That's and, awesome. I mean, it's fantastic how that spread so quickly, you know. Well, and, and people that know Colentown and the way we operate this model, but today you can't do that because people go through a, a very high-touch vetting process with our patient leaders in Colentown, our welcoming committee. Our, I mean, we have a good hundred volunteers who are running all of our, all of our now over a hundred secret groups in Facebook, mm-hmm. on Facebook. And there's quite the registration process and the vetting process that goes on for people to join us. And we really are regarded out there by uh, people that have tried to join and haven't been able to. Um, we have been, we're regarded as a very well-managed, tightly managed really group that only allows in patients and caregivers and then not everybody. Um, so we have quite the step process for joining. So it's utterly different today. What I was testing was the validity, the popularity of the name and the possible concept without really knowing what my concept was going to be. And boy, did that work. <laughs> so it has worked. Congratulations has worked. on that success. That's, that's, I think, one of those amazing success stories that really shows people you can take control of the situation. And really, it's about putting yourself out there and seeing what happens. You know? Well, I think the important thing is it shows that people, one person and a few people can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's very important to us, you know, because what happens is when you are faced with your own mortality like this, things change. The world shifts underneath us. And things that seemed so important before now don't seem seem as important. And that's that that's sounds huge. almost cliched, but it's you know you talk to anybody who's been touched with this, and they will tell you the same thing. So take it a step further. We look for our way of making a difference. And you know, obviously, it's it's. Had we looked before this happened, we would have had many ways to make a difference. Now our way and our purpose may be more clearly defined as a result of this experience. So what this offers, this community and communities of disease-specific, well, experiences, I don't know how else to put it, can offer us is an opportunity for us to find our purpose. Absolutely. It's amazing. I mean, even as a caregiver to my brother, I found that once he passed, focus happened. All of a sudden, yes. you know, that kind of heartbreak and just deep, intense emotion, it just opens you up to focus and clarity all at once. You know, it's, it's kind of amazing what happens if you're open to it, right? 
Well, uh, I can t I can tell you to back up not only being open to it, but my life before cancer was shallow and meaningless. And and honestly, I had a very good life. But it compared to the richness and the the purpose that I get to experience in my daily life today and in, in chatting with, helping, connecting people to others uh, in Colon Town is rich beyond measure. Right. I am I am today living the life that I dreamed of having as a child and as a younger adult uh, and, and despaired of ever being able to experience. So for me, my experience has been such a gift because it has given me this gift of of, of consciousness really about yeah. what life is truly about and where value really is in life. So I, I love being able to interact with people who are engaged and engaging more in this high level conversation, high value conversation about the meaning of life and the yeah. purpose of life. Yep. So the greatest compliment for me is when one of our patients says, I have found my purpose. Right. Wow. That's huge. It, it is huge. Yeah. To expand on that, you know, Colon Town is amazing. And what you guys have done is, is really wonderful. And what, what do you think about other illnesses, though? Can people with, like, like my brother, for instance, brain cancer, could he have plugged into Pal Town? Like, what are the options for those who don't have colorectal cancer and can they, can they join this system? Can they become a part of Paltown? Well, what Paltown is not a town. Okay. Paltown, Paltown actually is the name of our foundation that supports first colon town. Okay. And I say first because colon town has become, is the model for the disease-specific community that patients seek. Right. And I can tell you that what happens in our conversation in Colon Town so often is, isn't there a Colon Town for brain cancer? Isn't right. there, my nephew has prostate cancer. Isn't there a Colon Town for prostate? Breast cancer. I mean, all the cancers get asked about in the context of our model and in right. our conversation. And so when we started, we did realize that we needed to start our own charity to support Colon Town, which we just did a couple of years ago. We named it Pal Town to reflect a couple of concepts. One, Pal could be your friend. And it also is a concept for the town concept. Mm -hmm. So uh, people do try to join us in, in Pal Town, but the reason we called it that was so that we could make this model available to other diseases. So to further answer your question, have I met your brother before, his, before he, he left us? I would have talked to him about being the mayor of a town for brain cancer. Okay because he's obviously a pas passionate patient. Mm -hmm. I was a passionate patient. 
I didn't care whether or not I had support for what I was going to do. I knew it needed to be done. I have a sense from what everything that I know about your brother, he would have been very much the same and would have wanted to start his own, his own network. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're, you know, you basically advocate for people, patients who really want to make a difference to step up and create their own community. And we will mentor them. Okay. And they, and they thus would have access to our support, underlying support of Paltown as a charity. Okay. We have all the work done and all the IRS designations in place utilizing Paltown Development Foundation. So that's great. And that's, that's actually very hopeful for other cancers and other diseases. So there are, there are options to be developed, basically. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So I actually want to go into... Uh, couple of questions that I ask every guest and it's really just out of my curiosity because you know we're all dealing with illness and end of life and grief and there's so much power to that you know um, yep so what do you, what is your version of the afterlife oh I love that question <laughs> my version is that I'm going to see my in particular my mother again my mo- my mother is my guiding star, and she left me, she left us very suddenly when I was in my mid-30s, way before I was ready to have her leave me, I can mm-hmm. assure you. She was my champion. She was my the instigator for any good ideas I had, um, and I swear that she is somehow behind the Colin Town idea. Uh, she was the networker par excellence. <laughs> and uh, I watched her do things because of maintaining her, her, her huge network. You know, without the internet, I used to watch her get up at four o'clock in the morning and write letters to friends and postcards to friends, keeping in touch. And I, I remember her saying to me once, Erica, don't ever lose your connections. And, um, and I, I watched how that worked for her. I want to sit down with her and, and have her tell me that I led a good life. I led the sort of life that she had planned for me. That's, that's my version of the afterlife. And then on top of it, I want to see all my other that have gone before because I know they're there. Yeah, you can feel them. Yeah, that's that's a, a great version, I got to say. Um, and considering, again, the line of work you're doing and what you've experienced, what is the most important piece of advice you've learned that you could share with our listeners? Well, I think the most important advice is, is that people, once you get this shocking news, it's not easy, but it's really important. It's actually essential that one take charge right. as a leader, as a patient leader of your own treatment. And there are many different reasons to do that. One of the, one of the first reasons is that it makes you, makes us stronger. It makes me stronger when I do that. 
um, I hear far too many stories of people in, in, in partnerships who, who throw all the responsibility for learning everything onto their partner. And I, I just think that is nuts, actually, because, I mean, it's, it's, I understand the sharing nature of it, but I don't understand the, the giving up of the responsibility for me. Um, yeah. And, and, and another piece to that is that you lose out on the strength giving nature of learning Right. And, and gathering information, you, you, one loses out in the physical exercise of, of learning, because there is physical exercise when you're taking charge like this. And um, you, you lose out on making the connections with others. Right. I, I watch the, the patient being cared for who wants nothing to do with the whole situation, not having any connection to any of the good and bad stories, because they're both good. Not everybody survives this. Right. But I I see them isolating, and I know isolation and depression can kill. Right. So literally, I watch people have a shorter time period in the patient role than the patient leader does mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, maybe there's another terminology for the patient who doesn't do anything i mean yeah. i feel sorry for the, the people that do that and we do our best to try and encourage people not to do that um right. you know for example in colon town we have two separate tracks one is for the caregiver and one is for the patient. Right. And the, they are mutually exclusive groups. Right. Right. So, and because this, the caregiver has a far different role than the patient and vice versa, obviously. But I, I, will, I would like to put in a word for the caregiver. The caregiver actually has a, a worse time than the patient, even if the patient doesn't make it. I will agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Yeah, they, my they, kudos to the caregiver, because no one gives the caregiver the caregivers due, and that is thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you for everything that you have done, do, and continue to do, and then, and then what happens when I die? Right. You're still there, alone right. and frightened. So kudos yeah. to the caregiver and we do everything in our, our caregiver organization is absolutely astounding. It's, it's, you know, made up of about six different groups, uh, different designations of caregivers and the caregiver situation. And um, we've refined it to a, to a fine tuned instrument, I will tell you, and people really get so much joy from being in our caregiver organization. Yeah. And it's, so. you know, as the, my brother's caregiver, it was interesting because, you know, he'd tell me the possibilities and I'd always say, you know what, this is your brain and your body. And, you know, I have an opinion, but it's so up to you. <laughs> you know, like I can't have that impact on you. You have to do this for yourself and, make these decisions about your brain, you know, this is, this is it's huge. Um, 
And, you know, and it was interesting. I remember one time we were at Sloan Kettering and he was having, I think, his second craniotomy. And the surgeon's assistant came in and wanted to talk to me. And she took me aside and said, you know, how are you doing? And I was like, I was a little worried because she was asking about me, which had never happened before. And I said, you know, yeah, I just kind of like looked at her, just shocked by her asking me that. And she's like, you know, it's often hardest on the family and it's just you. Yeah. You know? So I want to make sure that you're okay and that, you know, you're ready for this. And I just looked at her just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm she understood. She know? got it. She gets she it. She 100% did. And I was just, it really just took me aback and it made me pause for a moment to just say, okay. You know, the, the memory is with the caregiver. You know, every pain, fever, nook and cranny that a patient doesn't remember lies with the caregiver. And um, I think people forget that. You know, they focus on the patient and don't realize how much people give up for others, you know. So I'm glad well, you guys are taking oh, care of the caregiver too. <laughs> oh, oh, this is as, if not, this is as important as the patient care. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, I mean, the issues are, are different. Right. Might I tell you about another very unique feature of Kotlin Town? Okay. We have an area, a corner of our world that is called Tom's Clinic. Mm-hmm. This of about eight separate groups, and they're named by bio, biomarkers and mutations. But basically what they are, are are discussions about clinical trials. Okay. This is the clinical trials is where the hope is right. for cancer. Right. And, and we, have, we have these groups where discussions and support for joining clinical trials happen to the tune of probably 25% of this uh, of this entire community of cl- called cl- the clinic is actively involved in engaged in clinical trials. And I really point this out because that's an astounding percentage. And they're the so important. Clinical trials. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, people don't understand and are, you know, are still influenced too much by the mythology out there that that the clinical trial uh, for me means that I might get a placebo. Yeah. What, what the clinical trial means for me today is that I might have my stand, standard of care treatment. And if I get the clinical trial drug, I might be declared NED or cured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the with with the newest immunotherapies, right. so we have about twelve or fourteen patients who've actually gone through trials and are now, as we say, dancing with Ned. <laughs> that's amazing. That's um, and they might otherwise be gone. Right. And that's so the, this is though. huge. Yeah. And I and I really like to. I mean, we are way more than support patient support. We are really literacy, clinical trials, personal and and patient leadership, 
and community. It's yeah. way more what we represent. I'm really proud because and pleased because I watch people living because of their membership and their engagement in Colon Town. There well, can't be any greater satisfaction than that, I will tell you. I got to say, that's, that's pretty amazing. And it really is a model of what to do, you know, yes. and how, how you can help yourself or help others that you know to really get in there and get out there. <laughs> you know? Get and, in there and get out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but thank you so much. I, I think there is so much amazing information and your story is inspirational. And I think a lot of people will you know, understand how to navigate when you are in stormy waters and you don't know what to do, you know, don't give up and don't, don't take a first opinion, get a third, fourth, fifth, however many you need to, to feel comfortable with the doctor um, and stand up for yourself. So thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Michelle. Thank you so much for asking me. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.